Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That sounds nice, doesn't it? If you've been with us uh, over the summer, we've been tracking through these Beatitudes. This is the fifth one that we're in. And uh, you know if you've been with us that the picture that the Beatitudes create for the blessed ones, those who belong to God's kingdom, is kind of an unsettling one, isn't it? These are people who uh, mourn, who are poor, who are, who are meek and lowly and, and are starving the last four weeks. So it's kind of refreshing to hear today, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That sounds nice, right? A little, a little give and take, not so one-sided. Things seem a little more pleasant in this beatitude. Well, if you've tracked this over the summer as well, you know that, that those simple statements that Jesus is using in the beatitudes, they don't give the picture, Right? The Christian life isn't one that's just a, a kind of constant, sorrowful, somber, bitter, sour even walk. That's not the Christian life. It's deeper than that. But it's also not one that's just nice. Christianity isn't about just being a nice person or living a nice life. That's too shallow too. And what we see with Jesus in His Beatitudes is that the Christian life is something uh, far deeper, uh, far more gritty and rugged and powerful and profound. So, what does Jesus mean when He says, blessed are the merciful? Well, let's dig into that today. Uh, let's take a look at, at what mercy is. And, and to understand what mercy is, we kind of have to define it, I think, right? Mercy is one of these church words, I think. You know, we talk about it in here, maybe we hear it in these readings, but I don't know that we say the word mercy out there a lot, unless you're like really hot in the South or something, you know, mercy, you know, you need a cup of tea. So what does mercy mean? I, I, I was told as a young person that um, mercy and grace are different, right? Grace is when you get something that you didn't deserve, right? So grace is like a gift, right? You didn't deserve it, it was just given to you. And mercy was kind of the, the altar, the antithesis. It's when you didn't get something that you did deserve, right? So maybe that image that comes to mind is like the peasant, you know, begging before the king when he's done something wrong, right? Like, please have mercy on me. Don't give me what I do deserve. That's one idea of mercy that I've heard. The idea that Jesus gives us here in this beatitude is actually a little different from that. Uh, he uses the Greek word elieo, uh, which means to be concerned about people who are in need. It's the same word that Jesus would use in the next chapter when he talks about uh, giving alms to the needy. He uses this elieo word three more times, saying to, to look for those who are needy. Look for those who, who need something and you have to give to them and give it to them. That's mercy at least another angle of this idea of mercy. But I think the most helpful uh, way to understand mercy is actually uh, through a story. And Jesus uh, tells us a story all about mercy later on in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, it's, it's a story called the parable of the unmerciful servant. 
And I'll share it with you today. It goes uh, something, it goes something like this. There once was a kid who got himself into really bad credit card debt. I mean, like, really bad. I'm talking astronomical debt. Not just a few thousand dollars spent on, I don't know, clothes at the Gap or Kohl's or, I don't know, what do what kids spend money on these days? V-Bucks? V-Bucks? Whatever kids spend money on. This kid racked up debt. And not just a few thousand dollars, but actually a trillion dollars. One trillion dollars. No joke. And then the creditors came looming. The creditors came after. They found him and they cornered him and they said, it's time to pay up or else. No, no, please, I'll pay it back. I I promise. I just need a little bit of time, said the kid. A trillion dollars? Really? A teenager's going to pay back a trillion dollars in his one lifetime? Doubtful, right? But then the creditors did something unfathomable. The creditors forgave the kid's debt. They had mercy. The kid had more than just a couple of, you know, broken legs coming his way. He had multiple lifetimes of indentured servitude to pay back that kind of amount. But they didn't make him. He didn't have to get what he deserved. They showed him mercy. Well, later that day, that same kid went uh, to his part-time job at Kohl's, maybe, or the Gap, or wherever he worked. And he found a, a coworker of his who owed him 20 bucks. And he went over to that coworker and he took him by the shirt collar and said, Pay up now, I need those $20 today. And the kid said, Whoa, hey, buddy, you know, just give me a little bit of time. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you your $20. But the kid didn't let go of the shirt. He moved to a chokehold and said, No, now, now I want my 20 This story is ridiculous <laughs> on many levels, right? V-Bucks? I mean, what are even V-Bucks? Ask your kids if you don't know what V-Bucks are. Or me. Um, the ridiculous thing in the story, though, might be the credit for giving that, that first kid. But I think what's even more ridiculous is that that kid went after $20 of a coworker. Put yourself in this kid's shoes. Just imagine it for a second. What if you went home today and standing outside of your house was the publisher's clearinghouse, the giant check, right? Pulled up there waiting for you. They're knocking on the door and you're pulling in the driveway. Or or imagine if you had played the Powerball, right? Wasn't yesterday's like $48 million? And you saw that number come on the screen and it it was yours. Imagine yourself in that moment. Would you even remember that someone owed you $20? Would you even know what to do? Would you even imagine your life would be now that this money was here? I mean, I think someone would have to kind of snap you out of it, right? You you wouldn't be able to believe it. It would transform you. It would change, change everything. 
accepting that money, winning that money, being gifted that money. But the kid in the story wasn't transformed. He hadn't really accepted that, that debt forgiveness. It, it hadn't hit him deep in his gut. Uh, the creditors had shown mercy. That was undeniable. But the kid really hadn't received it. If he really understood what that meant for him in his life, there's no way he would have gone to that coworker. Jesus actually makes that point in his story because the way it turns out is that kid gets called back into the creditor's office. And they say, buddy, you got to pay. Because he hadn't accepted the debt forgiveness. What does that mean for us? This is the parable of the unmerciful kid, unmerciful servant, right? He didn't show mercy. But Jesus isn't telling this parable just to give us a vocab lesson on the word mercy. Jesus wants us to, to understand our role in the story. The Bible is this kind of invitation to, to really see ourselves, right? The Bible is not just a book of rules that are trying to tell you how, how, how to live and act in a certain way so that you can be, you know, good, moral, upstanding people. The Bible does that, but it's much more than that. Bible is a mirror. It's a mirror to, to show us the, the deepest recesses of our hearts, to, to draw out of us what, what our inner beings really are like and what they're, what they're pining after, what they're longing after. And it points us to what can really satisfy our hearts. But, but that means that this parable is not just a lesson on the word mercy, and it's not just one of Aesop's fables to try and get us to live a certain way. No, the Bible is, is trying to tell us something about our nature. The Bible is trying to tell us and point to us, show us that we are that first kid. We are that kid who comes before his creditors. We had racked up this debt. It's a debt we call sin, right? It's this brokenness that we live in day in. And day out, that's, that's so connected to us, it's, it's part of our nature. We call it the sin nature. And it's not just that we, we had sinned here or there, or that we, you know, owed God 20 bucks or a debt. This debt to God was that, that trillion dollars. This debt to God was, was more than we could have imagined. Maybe we just hadn't seen that in ourselves. But this story isn't just about an enormous debt that we owed God. It's also about a gracious creditor, right? It's about an unbelievable act of mercy and about a God who, who didn't expect, didn't even believe the kid when he said he would pay but just forgave him the debt anyway. That's transformative. That, that transforms a person, right? The ridiculous thing in the story is that the kid would go in and try and seek this, this money from his friend, his coworker, another person. 
Because for someone to do that means they really hadn't wrestled with or, or grappled with the debt that was forgiven them. The Bible tells us that, that this is our spiritual state, right? We're spiritually poor, we're spiritually low, we're spiritually depleted of resources. You might say spiritually uh, homeless, toothless. Our spirituality reeks of our own nature. But is that how we see ourselves? Or do we tell ourselves a different story? When we come into a room of people, do we feel a little puffed up about ourselves? Thinking, oh man, it's really good that, that this or that person is here today. They really need to be here. Or think about that person who, who hasn't come to church, who we wish would come to church, thinking they really need to be here. They need this. But not necessarily thinking how much we need it. I'm just here because I've kind of sorted out my life. I've got my life together. That's why I go to church. Or are there groups of people who are out there in need, who, who have a real need, but are our first thought when we encounter them is, well, get, get, just get your act together. You wouldn't be in this situation if you would just get your life right, right? I, you you got to help yourself first, then maybe I will help you. Come on, right? They're just reaping what they sow. They're just getting what they deserve. How can we think like that about other people when we have been given this, this forgiveness, this debt paid by God Himself? We're applying a logic to them that we won't even use on ourselves unless we don't think that we have such a debt, unless we think our debt's just much lower, much simpler unless we're, we're leaving some of this debt forgiveness on the table. But when this debt forgiveness that is yours and mine really sinks into you, it will transform you. It has transformative power. This is what uh, uh, people remarked the, uh, about the early church, those who had walked with Jesus, because they kind of had this unbelievable grace about them and an unbelievable generosity about them. There was a saying in the early church that the, uh, the Romans took care of the Roman poor, and the Greeks took care of the, the Greco poor, but the Christians, they took care of them all. They had been transformed by seeing their needs met in Jesus, that it pushed them out, it pushed them to see the needs of those around them and to just step in, to give, to serve, to lift up, even if they didn't believe the people they were helping or serving deserved it. They knew what they had been given was undeserved. It transformed them. They'd been transformed by that gracious creditor. And I want you to see that that's actually what these Beatitudes are about. I don't know if we've been real clear about it as we've kind of walked through these, but I want to be clear to you about it this morning that the Beatitudes are not trying to tell you how to make yourself in order to be blessed by God. The Beatitudes are not telling you to become poor, 
yourself or, or to go out and, and be merciful so that you can be blessed or be uh, uh, handled in mercy by your God. And the Beatitudes aren't describing like eight groups of people either. They're not saying, all right, these, these poor people are blessed, and so are the people who are mourning, they're also blessed, and uh, the people who are pursuing righteousness are blessed. These aren't different groups of people. This is one group of people. This is God's people, His kingdom people, those who have been transformed by this radical generosity of God in His Son. Because when we recognize that, that spiritual poverty, that's where we connect with Christ, where we see His generosity, His, His kingdom come to us, right? And when, when we recognize that low state of ours, it causes us to mourn, to mourn over how we've been and, and the brokenness we see out in the world. When we see our lowly state, it causes us to thirst for that righteousness of God, that God would make us right, that He would fix all these things in us that are wrong. And that's, that's like a lifetime's work, maybe a few lifetimes. But God is working on those things. He's desiring to correct those things in us. And then we want God to, to help us transform what's wrong in the world. Christianity has this habit, I guess. The gospel has this way of kind of blowing us out the, kind of the bottom. So if the picture of the Christian life seemed unsettling or disturbing or, you know, maybe we were a little resistant to, we didn't want it, that's, that means you're here in the gospel because the gospel, it shows us first this, this big gap, this huge crippling debt. The gospel shows us that we are, we're more flawed and broken than we ever dared believe. But then it shows us that we are also more loved than we ever dared hope. That God saw us just as we are. Come as you are. And still He chose to walk with us. Still, He chose to lift us up, to transform us by His Son. Think of His Son, right? Jesus, he was, he was meek, but He didn't inherit the earth. He inherited a, a cross. Jesus, He was, He mourned. It, it was not comforted. He, he, he cried out on that cross, right? I thirst, thirsting for that righteousness that he spent his whole life pursuing and giving to the world. But he was left thirsting. He was there left mourning to God. My God, why have you forsaken me? He was left low. So that you and I, that you and I could be lifted up. So that you and I could be exalted. Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that you and I would never have to taste what we did deserve. This is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. If I'm not seeing that take shape in my life, if I've encountered this Jesus who has given such mercy to me, and yet I still have this puffed-up idea 
Or if I, I kind of shy away from, from people that need help, I see the people that need help, and I'm like, ah, it's an inconvenience. It's hard. I don't want to step into that. Run back to the cross. Run back to this place of transformation. Because this is how, where and how Christ powers and empowers His church. It's at that cross where we kneel before Him and, and remember that debt that He paid for us. Appreciate it. But it starts to trickle into our life. And it's not a snap. It's not a one-moment kind of conversion and my whole life is now lived in perfect love of those who I see as different than me, as those who are needy. It's, it's a process. But Jesus is walking with you in mercy each day. That debt each day, paying and repaying, forgiving you, so that we might go and be this people of mercy in the world. And so blessed are the merciful, for they have received mercy, and they will receive mercy on the last day and even today. In Jesus' name. Amen.